0: I'm committed to spending a lot more time with my family in 2021 than I did in 2020. Since April, I've worked nearly every day that ends in Y, including holidays, you know, they also end in Y. I'm grateful I had so much business success this year, and I know I am the arbiter of my schedule, so if it's feeling out of balance, I'm the one who needs to make adjustments. I also note that if I'm working flat out to meet current client demands, I won't have time set aside to focus on rather than in my business. Working on my business means having time to think strategically about my goals and identifying key actions I need to take to meet those goals. If you haven't yet, this is the time to start setting your quarterly goals for 2021. I've spoken before about my quarterly goal planning and how it's helped me strategically build on my past success. What I love about setting quarterly goals is I'll put full effort into the plan for 12 weeks and know then whether the strategy is working or needs to be adjusted. If I set an annual goal at the end of the year, I won't know if it didn't work out cause I didn't put enough time and energy into the project or the strategy wasn't right, or maybe it was the wrong goal. Back in 2018, I worked with Heidi Weber of the Literary Salon to design a workbook and co-host quarterly masterclasses throughout 2019 around goal setting. The idea is to set two major goals and two minor goals per quarter. These minor goals could be something that sets you up for success later in the year. For example, getting new headshots for a website that will launch later on. For this week's missive, I am sharing the reflection questions we included in the workbook for quarter one. What's your purpose, vision, and mission for this year? How will you break it down into quarterly increments? How do you work best? What processes work best for you? How can you leverage technology to your advantage? Where can you find joy this quarter? Your challenge for this week, before we start working on your quarterly goals, take a step back and visualize what you will be celebrating at the end of the year. What is the vision you will be working towards? Now, create a word of the year to help you stay focused as life intervenes. My word for 2020 was revenue. And when life twisted sideways in March, I kept my eye on my vision. And despite having to make dramatic changes to my strategy, I was true to my word next year my words are profit and process because it's not just about making money but about having processing in place to balance my time better and thoughtfully grow my business so i retain more of that revenue as profit what's your word for 2021 i'd love to hear it now on to this week's interview today's guest believes that with the right messaging even the smallest company can feel like a national brand She is the CEO and founder of The Repositioning Expert, a division of Coach Tactics and a marketing strategist who helps professional service companies change their messaging to attract more decision makers. For 20 years, she was an award-winning marketer at companies such as Pepsi, Pizza Hut, and Frito-Lay. She's the author of Gentle Marketing, A Gentle Way to Attract Loads of Clients and How to Win Friends the Way Apple Wins Customers. In addition, she is a regular featured expert on major television networks such as ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, as well as a popular speaker at international conferences. Please join me in welcoming Chala Dinkoy.
1: Yay! <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for being here from your home in Toronto. Um, I am thrilled to have you here. As you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership, because as you would probably agree, no one achieves success in a vacuum, right? So for that reason, the first question is always, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: (laughs) The moment that I left my job, (laughs) that was the moment for me. Um, I mean, I worked, you know, 20 years for the corporate world and some big, big, giant brands. And so the leadership in those Uh, roles was always about, you know, if you're gone, does your team pick up the slack? And, you know, do they operate as if you're not there? Do things keep going on? Do masterful, wonderful things keep happening when you're gone? Uh, That to me was, you know, the leadership. And then when I left corporate and I started my own career, well, you know, started my own company, the leadership now is like putting one foot in front of the other, just like what you and I were talking about, you know, when New unexpected things hit. I had my best year last year when, you know, I spoke at 16 conferences or 14 conferences in the U.S. without even lifting a finger. I was asked in front of hundreds and thousands of people. Right. And this year, all of that went away, you know, in March. So then the leadership in this role is more about putting one foot in front of the other, getting up every morning and doing things that, you know, you need to do that are new, scary are stretching you, reaching for resources you've never needed or had, or, you know, had experience with. And so now I work with, you know, social selling teams in three different countries for the love of God, right? Like I'm meeting with them at their hours and day and night. And so, and I have also pivoted into teaching people the same skills of how to, figure out what to say so they can land a meeting because the number one problem today in the B2B world, as you probably know, is not enough leads in the pipeline.
0: Mm. So that's I love it. We- it feels like in some ways it comes down to self-leadership when you're, uh, yeah. when you're on your own, as opposed to this context, when you were in a large company, it was, I love this visual of like, if the boss isn't there, yeah. like they're a true leader, if the ship keeps, you know, yeah. going the same direction and people understand how to step in, because in some ways, in, in, that, in that example of the, of the corporate space, it sounds like leadership is often about inspiring others then to have leadership because then in your absence, they don't just go, oh, I don't know what's going on. You know, like you, you they, they feel, they feel empowered to keep going. But when you're, you're, when you are the business owner, well, then you are the business owner. <laughs> and so like you have to inspire yourself to take that action first and foremost.
1: Yeah. Well, the onus is on you. Like when I worked for those giant brands, it was never, the onus was never on me to figure out what to sell and who to position. And, you know, like it was mostly about the, the doing of it, but now it's about the figuring out what to do. And then to, to push yourself in the face of adversity and all sorts of newness and, and complete unknown, like complete question mark into new directions and and figuring that piece out, which, you know, I'm still honing. And luckily most of it has come back, but I'm still honing so that I can keep growing in this direction. So similar to what you're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, because we were talking before we got started about how I had to make this big shift from teaching people how to engage and take advantage of and make the most of the in-person events they were attending back when we used to get on planes, moment of silence. Yeah, <laughs> back in the day <laughs> and how we then design online experiences that still meet the needs of both content and connection. So I would love to hear a little more about leadership and, and, and your background in this. And I want to take you back Charlotte, even further. Let's talk about what you were like as a kid. I mean, when you were like on a playground, were you the kid who organized kids to do things? Did you run for office? Did did you have anyone you looked up to when you were a kid who were like, oh, I want to be more like them because they're they're when I mean, you didn't have the word leadership then. But like, what were you like back then?
1: Oh, my God. I used to lend money to, to people and then I would charge them interest. And I had this little book that I would write. <laughs> I, and then I always pretended that I never had change, So I would, you know, get my parents to pay for stuff and get my sister to pay for stuff and get my grandparents. I mean, it sounds awful, but that's that's the kind of kid I was. And, you know, it, it then became sort of this, um, you know, legacy of trying to start my own business all the time, right? Even though I was in this really, really hot corporate career, I was always trying to start my own business. And then I certified as a coach. And then I thought, okay, if I leave my job and I have this certificate, people are going to just like, Come in droves, right? And I don't know if you know about the coaching industry, but the at least the certified coaching industry is starving. According to their uh, median income reports, it's twenty grand a year. I know, so the, I was one of those people. So when I left, you know, I was starving. Uh, I had just left a six figure job. And uh, at the time, my husband, who's now my ex-husband and still best friend, but it, he wasn't making enough to support our lifestyle. And we had a child. So I had to very quickly figure out what to do. Again, another pivotal moment. right? And so what I've, what I used to do in my job is I used to launch products, new products every year. And I had to figure out how the new Pepsi wasn't going to you know, cannibalize the Pepsi that was on the shelf. So I had to reposition, which is the name of my company, the repositioning expert is I had to position it into a gap in the market, figure out what is the message? What is the price? What is the packaging? What's the offer? What's the concept? So that was my job. And then I did that on myself. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, I went from a generic coach into a marketing coach. And then I started getting a little bit more traction. And then I went even deeper and I super niched into uh, helping people nail their niche. And I have a whole program called Nail Your Niche. And then because we do it like by asking the market in a strategic way, we don't just throw spaghetti at the wall to figure out your niche. <laughs> yeah.
0: So all right, I want I want to I want to jump in here because you said some stuff early on here that I, I don't want to like have it just wash okay. past us you were a bookie. Like you were like, yes, I, was. <laughs> oh my I listen, I was super entrepreneurial as a kid too. I was, it started with gum. I was chewing gum and they would ask me for a piece and I, I got tired of giving away gum. And so I started selling packs of gum and I would buy it for 25 cents a pack and sell it for, you know, 50 cents a pack. And then I got candy bars and I mean, it just kind of grew and grew and grew. Eventually I was selling bagel sandwiches in high school. So yeah, but, um, but like, like you, the entrepreneurial spirit, and I went into nonprofit and event, the whole nonprofit fundraising events on a world for 15 years. And you followed a path into sort of this marketing world in corporate America, but you still had that like kind of itch to do your own thing. And I and I also really can resonate, and I think a lot of people listening can resonate to this idea like, but if I just hang my shingle, won't everyone just show up? Cause you you know, because you don't have to hunt when you're in corporate America or even working for a job in nonprofit. You just kind of show up and someone else hands you the a to-do list and you execute. <laughs> so a lot of learning. What year was it that you made that shift into your own? It was own...
1: eight years. Eight years eight,
0: ago. Eight years ago. So it was after the like last major recession but it was like just kind of coming out of that. And did you have any clients when you made that shift? <laughs> not, and not like a, not like the, uh, the one that pays all the bills one, like a oh God,
1: no, no, yeah. I had to save, I had to save. I mean, I do a lot of, I used to do a lot of TV appearances about, um, how to start your own business. And I teach in male, men's, uh, men's prison, again, before COVID, about how to be your own boss. And one of the things that I always say is to save like at least six months of savings because of that experience.
0: Mm, yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that the best advice I got was from Dori Clark, who's been my friend and mentor and at one point my business coach. And she said that you'll know it's time to leave your day job when it gets in the way of your business. mm. Is yep. interesting? I mean, right?
1: they were both getting in the way of each other. And I tried it. I really, I was so like reluctant to leave because of the security. I had a good job. I liked it. Like my boss, liked the money. It was so easy. I could do it in my sleep.
0: Golden okay. handcuffs. Hard. Yeah.
1: Hard. It was hard to leave. But then, you know, I had a fight with a bipolar woman at work and ta-da. <laughs> it <laughs> lasted two years. And my boss refused to deal with it because he didn't know how. And uh It was like, I thank that woman in my dreams every day.
0: Right. Because there's sometimes a moment where the thing that feels cushy and easy stops being cushy and easy. So the unknown becomes more appealing than the known.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, it was just too painful to stay. So that's when I said, I am not going to go get another job. This is the time for my dream. And I was, I didn't sleep for two months. I had nightmares every month, like every night, you know, 2 a.m. I knew I'd be up. And uh, yet like, I started making about four times what I was making at my last job a couple of years after. So about three years after I quadrupled my income, like, and I was 40. So it was, it was awesome. So I thank her every day.
0: Yeah. But it sounds like that, that initial shift had a lot of challenges you, and you talked a little bit about how you had to, put, you know, be your own client, which I, which is actually something I talk to my clients about a lot. I'm like, what would you tell yourself if you were a client? Because I work with a lot of entrepreneurial coaches. Um, and so this idea that you had to, you know, not be a generic coach and then niche down into marketing and then further niche down into repositioning. And then like, what were you going to offer? Like what makes, what's your unique selling proposition essentially is what you were trying to identify.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. Now,
0: was there other mm-hmm. stuff that was getting your way too? Was there anything like holding you back I don't know, like in a, in a more mindset kind of way about how you're building this?
1: hundred percent. I've spent about a hundred thousand dollars in like every two years I spend this on mindset because I come from an, with a name like Chala Dinkoy. I come from an immigrant background. So when my parents, and they were educated, my mom's a lawyer, my dad's an engineer, but they taught us uh, never to spend more than what you have, always to, to save more than spend, never Uh, take credit like like don't take ride your credit cards don't borrow money work really hard work for big companies so you can be safe uh selling is bad like these are the money doesn't grow on trees these are all things that were so ingrained into us that i have i mean when you have a business like you uh, my first coach that i hired for 15 grand I almost had a heart attack, but he explained to me, like, if you don't spend the money out of where you want to be and you spend it out of where you are, you're never going to make more. And if you don't, like, overcome this mindset of scarcity and and instead of getting into abundance and worthiness and all those things, oh, my God. So I spent a lot of time and money uh, to, to try to overcome that. And I know that it's worked because... I've never spent so much money on my business as I did when I didn't have it at the beginning of COVID. Like there was no guarantees that I would ever get a single penny back, but I've never invested so much at one time in my business. And I you could believed put, in it. Yeah, because I could do it because now like I'm a different person. But yeah, mm-hmm. that was, I don't know if you found that that got in the way for you.
0: Mm, that's really interesting. I, it's funny, um, I just invested in a new a coach who's going to help me create better systems because I'm now enjoying an influx of lots of new inquiries and I need I need tighter processes for managing all this. And I'm building out a team, et cetera. So um, and it was a it's an investment. <laughs> it's an expensive investment. But my wife said that's why every time I do a major thing like that, she goes, That's why you're the entrepreneur, not me, because she like you has like how you were like to her. Oh my gosh, how could you do that? But she also doesn't get in the way of me doing it. She's like, you know what you're doing? And I'm like, because I know that three months from now I'm going to have all these things set up. Right. And like that, and that money will come back. And so I have a, I have a a mantra that I wrote down in a workshop 10 years ago and it's on a post-it note that I still have. It's taped to my desk. It says, I am enough. I have enough. I choose to live with abundance yeah, and any moment of like scarcity-minded, you know, thoughts. I just that's the part you have to go back to. And I think what you were saying is, at the moment in March, April, May, when like everything got uprooted in our lives, I think those of us that have persevered and moved on had that mindset shift and was able. We were yeah. able to kind of keep going, right?
1: Yeah, and there are so many people that I talk to that are stuck. They can't. They're just in so much fear. And you know what? They have the money because the government gave so much money to businesses. They have the money, but they can't spend it because they're so much in fear and they're in that lack mentality. And they're they're truly stuck. They're truly stuck and they're just hoping for an extension on all these grants.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: Instead of creating it like you and I have, instead of recreating it out of yeah.
0: nothing. Right. And and what's interesting is the the work that you and I have probably done up to this point allowed us to move quicker because we were doing the work on ourselves and on our businesses and on our like mindset before this happened.
1: Yeah. It's everything. It's everything. I owe everything to my change in mindset because otherwise I'd still be trying to spend as little as I could and make myself feel good that I'm still doing something for the business. So I'd be like doing group programs for, you know, very, very little, you know, investment. And I'd be trying to get time with the coach in a group, you know, like, I wouldn't be spending at a high, high level because in coaching, what I found is the people who can charge a lot, they are the ones that you want to learn from, not the ones that can't charge a lot. Like, why would you ever want to spend a dime or one minute with someone who can't charge a lot? Right.
0: Right? Because what's stopping them from charging a lot is probably them.
1: (laughs) It's their mindset. And why would you ever want your mindset to co-mingle with theirs? because you always want to be, remember, be surrounded by the five closest people to Jim you. Rohn. Yeah, exactly. you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're the average of the five people that you hang out with.
0: That's and I right. And
1: people like you. All
0: right, so th- let's talk a little bit about that. You know, as you're making this shift in, from corporate to an entrepreneurial sort of world, did you know other entrepreneurs? Do you know other coaches?
1: No, I was all corporate girl, like 20 years. Do you know what corporate um, managers do? They go to their room and they stay there unless they're dragged out by their own company sponsoring an event or if they get an award or if they're speaking somewhere. That's what happens to them. Like if the, you're a top corporate level, most of the time you're in meetings with your staff. The the only other thing you can do maybe uh, is meet with suppliers. It, and that's very rare because very few can get in. So you are- really...
0: Not a lot of networking. Not not a lot no, of exactly. no.
1: Exactly. Not not <laughs> for corporate. And so that's what I teach now is how to get to the corporate manager, how to engage them, how to even get them to open their doors and allow you in, to to just invite you. How to use your messaging and your elevator pitch. How to super niche into a, such a painful gap for them that they are like running after you instead of the other way around.
0: Yeah. So how did you model what your business was going to look like? Like, as as you started this, you said you got, okay, you you got certified. So you had your, you know, certification in one hand, you had one client and you were like, go time, you know, how did you start surrounding yourself with the kind of people that would help you up level?
1: I paid for them. (laughs) I literally had to buy like the presence of, very successful people in my life because unfortunately I didn't have any role models. Like my parents are retired, you know they're still scrimping and saving. They're comfortable because of all the scrimping and saving. But uh, you know my sister's an engineer, but she's a civil servant. Uh, so is her entire family. My husband was ex-husband now was uh, you know an engineer who didn't have a lot of income. So and my as I said, the only people that I knew were the people in the office. Uh, So there was like no, none. And so what I started doing was I started looking at my own uh, niche through the methodology that I developed. And what that is, is you strategically break down into buckets of industries or interest groups of people that you can target. And then you look at their pain points of which you can you can help with. And then you go out and you literally talk to them about which is the most expensive one that they're, that you can solve for them. And are they interested in having someone like you and paying what you're expecting? And so through that, like that methodology I put together is like two weeks. You can have those conversations within two weeks and figure out your niche. And that's why the program is called nail your niche. You can nail it within two weeks. If you have those conversations with the right people in the right structure, because garbage in is garbage out for any type of, um, uh, research and then I um, implemented a visibility plan around. So I've been on you know TV twenty times on every network in your country, not even in my country. And then um, you know I spoke at NASDAQ and they put you on the jumbotron in New York. And so like so I did all of that, but it was always about the same topic to the same people.
0: And so that. curious. All right. Yeah. So I, I'm really curious because I know people who've been doing this for, for a long time and they often getting on TV, figuring out how to open those doors. Do you think that you already had a lot of those gifts because of your, basically what you're teaching is what you then apply to yourself. Mm-hmm. And you also are willing to pay money to like have some doors open so people would help you kind of keep going. Um, but like, obviously, you know, landing the first tv spot must have been the hardest because after that there's some proof that you know how to do it <laughs> and it's easier to then shop They're like hey i've done this show can i do these other shows how did you land that first one and did, and did was that another like working with a coach they helped you yeah. kind of lend yeah
1: that's how and it was the easiest it was working with a coach i hired a media coach they they told me exactly what to do and that's how i got 20 slots
0: isn't that funny when you say it right now, doesn't it sound so self-evident?
1: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't cheap, but I was on TV 20 times. Not a lot of people can say that. And there, there were people who have been on TV 60 times in that program, right?
0: Yeah. So what's, what's great is that once you have that, then you have the social proof to be able to charge the higher fees and people are coming to you because they, they see you or they hear about you and that social proof helps convince them that you're the right person.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I started charging like a ton oh like I started I quadrupled my price and quadrupled my income overnight because of a coach that I hired, the first one that I was telling you about. And I didn't have any of that. I didn't have any of the TV. I didn't have so what I learned is you cannot charge first of all what the market will bear because it's I mean, look at what Anthony Robbins charges, right? Like obviously the market can bear it. So there's so much of the sort of self-talk, negative self-talk about who can afford what and what do you need? Oh my God, I don't have a book or I've never been on TV, so I can't charge that. It's, it's all self-talk, right?
0: Mm, That's awesome. So how did you start to then build out your community? Did you uh, do any peer masterminds or things like that to sort of continue to stay in touch with people?
1: So I got certified as a woman business owner and, um, that, it, that became my uh, super niche. And uh, diversity conferences have something called procurement conferences. Have you ever heard of that? So that's, these are match, ginormous matchmaking events between corporations like tier one corporations and uh, small business owners like us. And they have them for women-owned businesses, for veteran-owned businesses, for African-American-owned businesses. So every kind of diverse minority you can imagine. And so I became the darling of those conferences because I was teaching elevator pitches that wow buyers, because that's what everybody has to do at those um, meetings is whether in the lineup of the cocktail or in the bathroom or you're actually in a matchmaking meeting, you're constantly telling people what you do for a living. And in today's Zoom world, you mentioned the breakout rooms and you mentioned um, how you're doing the networking now it's even more important that you crystallize what your 32nd one-liner is because if people are confused or you blend in with what everybody else is saying, you you're shut out of the breakout room and shot into another one in the networking that I'm doing. Right. You have to be memorable. You have to be relevant and you have to be concise.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So what has changed for most for you since, since the pandemic, like if you had to like create a whole new, like, programs or was it really about taking the existing programs and just reposition them a little bit
1: it was all of it really so we're still we're still finessing I and mean, we've we've had uh, some success with the same topic like the elevator pitches um, and we've obviously it's way more expensive to reach the multi-million dollar CEO target that I normally have online so what we're doing is we're trying to figure out the optimal solution of, how to message what I have to who is out there online. And the biggest skill that I've learned is um, how to convey, like instead of the stage, this is my stage. So I don't use slides. There's no decks, there's no webinars. I don't hide behind anything. It's just me looking at you. And like I did a 90 minute presentation yesterday, I do a nine day live launch normally every other month. So it's, it's just me talking to you and to my you know, audience and then interacting with them on the chat and on the comments live. So yeah. that's the biggest skill that I've learned is how to take that from the stage onto the camera.
0: Yeah, I, that's been a big shift. And I had had some experience and practice of that prior to the pandemic, having run some coaching programs and done some some online events. But like you said, a lot of people, the standard was to hide behind slides yeah. back then. I always say, you know, 45 minutes of death by PowerPoint followed by ineffectual Q&A. Now, no one moderating chat was never a good plan. And it's definitely not today. You know, so um, what you're just describing now is like the up level that we all have to do um, if you're going to have slides, how do you like get off the slides and look at the camera now and again, also looking at the camera. I'm amazed by how many people, even when they do selfie videos, I just did, I do these little social media videos that I put out. And one of them was like talking about how we need to look at cameras. <laughs> like even in selfie videos, I see people looking at themselves. They're like, they're recording and they're looking down. And I'm like, that's not very engaging. Like we can't actually see you. So there, there's some new skill sets that I think we all have to develop. And I love what you're saying about how we have to have still have to have a tight Intro, um, because we still you know, it's, it's we don't mean to have the handshake per se, but we have our moment uh and we have to make the best use of that moment and be memorable and referable. Like, is is it something that people are gonna hold on to in their heads, or are you just a coach or a consultant? That's not really sticky in my head, or a lawyer. That's not sticky in my head. So I can see a lot of people needing what you're looking to do these days. Um as you were um, figuring all this out, I, I'm curious like how you started to think about your network and tapping your network. So now I'm sure, you know, after the last eight years, you now have a wide array of people that you know, probably way more than even know you. So I always ask about sort of like, you have sort of your inner circle, uh, no, no question you're gonna stay in touch with those folks. And then you have like the second and third tier out, the, the people that you would see once a year at a conference, the people that you worked with five years ago, but these are people you like. You just don't have a reason to work with them currently. What have your thoughts or philosophies or or practices been around nurturing and sustaining those sort of outer layer connections?
1: Um, So it's basically through my email newsletter. I my newsletter is very personal. Like I show my body cause I I have my fitness blog. So, uh, like my last one, I showed my six pack, like that I had gone away. And, uh, but then I, I put like value around some marketing news. And then, um, I do co-hosted, um, you know, live, Streams with my 11 year old who's on the spectrum of them. Yeah. And those like those go viral, right? So those that that has been a non stop. And I've been religious about it. I've been like every week, no matter what happens in my life, even if I'm in Jamaica, that thing goes out and it's got a mixture of my life with, you know, some content. So that's been the continuing thread. But what happened now is. Um, I've hired, as I was telling you, some social sellers, some offshore social sellers who are actively reaching into my inboxes on all my social media and everybody who I've ever, ever talked to and inviting them to things. So inviting them to, you know, a new live LiveNR, inviting them to a live launch, inviting them to a boot camp. It's all virtual. And so all of, I mean, I, I've made... Ah, uh, just six figures in the last two months, just from the people who are sitting around in my network.
0: So, they're not new. so social sellers is such an interesting concept. So yeah. basically, you have a relationships with these people. you've you've engaged in some way in your inbox with them. And now, you know, if you had the time, you could sit and do it. But of course, then that's all you'd be doing. So you as a business owner are focused on creating content and thought leadership and networking. So you hire someone to go and dig into your inbox and take the message and share it out with a personalized sort of flair. And then that gets a really good response rate because people, those people do know you, like they actually have had some sort of connection with you. And then they in turn head in, you know, take action, sign up for your next step. Yeah. and get back into the pipeline. And that's fascinating because so many people are talking about how like everything's dried up and you're like, well, have you asked? <laughs> like you're asking and like, that's and you're asking at a volume in order to make sure people are yeah. hearing you.
1: Yeah. It's, it's worked really well for me. Uh, But as I said, like, we're looking to double that. So I've been very, very, very niched because, you know, of what I do into the multimillion dollar CEOs that are B2B CEOs and they only live on LinkedIn. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to open it up into like the Instagram and the Facebook and I'm going to have to let go of like the multimillion dollar uh, because there's, it's like the top of the funnel, right? Like the pyramid, there's less of them. So if I open it up, as you said, it's still such a relevant need to have that one liner and to figure it out in today's networking. And really, as I said, the biggest, biggest uh, problem is not enough leads, not just, there's just not enough leads in the pipeline. Everybody's crying and screaming and Googling about it. So we're trying to nail the actual title of my next, um, education, my next live launch. So any, any ideas are welcome.
0: (laughs) That's great. So, um, you know, what are you, do you ever like gather people together are you hosting any kind of online gatherings that are yeah. like a little little bit like lighter on content and more about social connections like are those part of the mix
1: you know, I mean, that's a really good idea. I really love that. Uh, I've I've done. It was mostly about business, though, so I've never done anything social like you. I really, I'm, I'm, I want to check yours out, and I'm gonna explore it on my own. But we invite them into my Facebook group, the private Facebook group called B2B CEO Society, and it's um, the name is is designed to scare people who don't uh, self-identify as CEOs and who are not B2B. But what I'm finding is that. <laughs> A lot of people on Facebook don't even know what B2B means, so they're just applying anyway, and we're ge- we're having to turn them down. But it's it's just it's really amazing. A lot of people I'm finding don't even know what a niche is. A lot of people I'm finding don't know what an elevator pitch is. So this is when, like, I'm in the Facebook world, in the LinkedIn world, that's not that's not something that happens. So I'm still learning. A yeah. Lot. I'm still exploring, but I love that idea of that, you know, social networking. I mean, how did it, how how was the idea um, when you first started it? People just wanted to, I mean, they just shoot the breeze or what's the deal?
0: So what's interesting is that it, since the pandemic started, a lot of people early on started hosting happy hours, virtual happy hours yeah. that were purely networking. And oh. some of them lasted even for a couple of months, like, you know, every week or every other week or something like that. But those fairly, for the most part, have faded. Um, because I think at some point people realized they didn't have time to just sit in a room with a bunch of random people. You know, <laughs> like uh, maybe, maybe at first everyone got like, there was a moment where none of us had any business and we all just were trying to talk to each other. And it, I always joke that very early on, it was like, oh, my God, people, I don't have to feed. <laughs> this is like, super exciting. So um, mine is a mix of content with a lot of networking, with a lot of Q&A. So the content is about how to design an engaging online presentation. So I give a little 10 minute piece about that early on. And then every other week we bring a guest in to talk about some aspect of it for like 20 minutes. But then the rest of the time we do a bunch of different breakout rooms and I'm essentially demonstrating how much fun and energy and enjoy can go into these events. And then we have Q and A and the Q and A has now, Gosh, it lasts forty-five minutes to an hour or longer. Like people stay on, um, and so w- we have people come back. Sixty percent have been there four or more times. Like it's it's a big, dedicated community of people, fifty or sixty every week. And I think the reason people keep coming back is a mixture of the content, the community, and obviously the format, the festivity, the engagement, the emceeing that I'm doing. Um, so I've been I've been sort of um, I don't want to say daring, but I've been um, challenging all the people that are in that group and all my clients to start thinking about what kind of industry-specific gathering could they host on a, even a monthly basis where you could grab people from your Facebook group and invite them for a monthly basis to a networking event where maybe you get a guest speaker to talk for 20 minutes, 25 minutes on a very concise topic. And then they go into breakout rooms to talk about that topic and get to know each other. And the value is the networking because people really are missing out. There's no more conferences. There's no more, like, I mean, Rotary. (laughs) This is really like everything has moved online. And so providing that value. I have a friend who did this in the world of Broadway in New York City. And she went from like a no one knows me to like being on a first name basis with key producers. And it was because, you know, I helped her design a really thoughtful event and she's ran it regularly and it became the go-to event early on in like April. So it's a it's a very powerful thing. Would be very hard to do pre-pandemic because it would have required geographic proximity. It would have required like booking a booking a room, right? Like maybe paying a, a bar fee, you know, all these kind of constraints. But all those constraints are gone. Now it's really about you know, really imagining all of that into an online space.
1: Do you turn people away?
0: Why would I turn anyone away?
1: Because they're not your target.
0: Everyone's my target.
1: In this sense,
0: like word of mouth is word of mouth. Got it. Now for you, you might want to say it's it's people from this group. If you're already defining a group through your Facebook group, I think you can work with that. Um, I have someone else who's doing it with um, chief learning officers. So she's bringing people together from organizations that have gone fully remote. So she's inviting chief learning officers from organizations that are fully remote. And she teaches people how to run remote teams more effectively, right? Yeah. So like, it's, a, it's another new opportunity that a lot of people haven't done yet. So it feels novel. And there's just a lot, of, I think it's a lot of opportunity. It's a little wild west almost, like how can we all take advantage of this moment?
1: Um, so even though it's, it's a Facebook group, you have them come into zoom. So oh that, no, I don't,
0: I don't have personally, have a Facebook group around this.
1: Oh, right. Right. Okay. So you just, you just do it off of your own. Yeah. Stuff? They register
0: through zoom. They come each week.
1: Well, I'm gonna give it a shot.
0: You should totally come. So whoever's listening right now, if you haven't already joined, No More Bad Zoom is the the way to sign up, No nomorbadzoom.com. That's our No More Bad Zoom virtual happy hours every Friday at five o'clock Eastern. And, um, and Chala, and this is thank you for giving me a chance to promo that. I didn't expect to do that. <laughs> but it is kind of fun and it's creative. And I've been I have been thinking that, you know, for those of us that have great communities and you've got an amazing community, you know, you've you've attracted good people, that being a host is such a powerful like opportunity to like be a value.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, my last, um, VIP client I got because of my podcast, she applied to be a guest on my podcast. My podcast is only five minutes and, uh, and there's a deep dive portion, but the first part is just five minutes and it's called polish my pitch. So people come on the show, they do their elevator pitch for 30 seconds. And then I ask for permission to polish it. And for the rest of the five minutes, I give them their new elevator pitch. I ask them questions. We figure out what the new pitch should be. And it's always about super niching it, like really, really tightening it up.
0: That's awesome. What Powerful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, and like when people are confused about their, you know, vague equals broke in my language. Right. So when they're generic and I tell them that, uh, they're pretty much aware of it, Robbie. They, they know that their messaging is leaving money on the table, confusing people, and just um, not getting meetings for them.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful. All right, so one of my favorite follow-up questions as we wrap up here is, if we're reconnecting a year from now, inshallah, I hope that we are have great reasons to stay connected, which is wonderful. But let's say a year from now and I say, wow, child, it's been a year since interviewed interview. I want to know at that point in the future, what will we be celebrating? What successes are you most looking forward to in the year ahead?
1: That I broke the seven figure mark online. That I completely converted my entire conference and never got on a plane. That's the whole I want that to say on my (laughs) she she broke the seven figure mark after COVID and never got on a plane.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to celebrate that with you. That would be tremendous. And we all could use that kind of inspiration in our own life. So how can people find you and follow your work?
1: So I'd love to gift one of the books that you were you were talking about at the beginning is called The Gentle Marketing. And that's my most popular book because it teaches you how to stop chasing people and get them to start chasing you because your messaging is so amazing and clear. Um, and so if you go to repositioner.com, which is my website and go slash uh, gift, you will get a chance to get your uh, elevator pitch um, polished by me on a call on a private call. And once you fill that in, uh, you get a chance to get you get the download of the book.
0: Great. I'm going to put this in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. We're also going to have uh, links to your LinkedIn and your Twitter, as well as to repositioner.com, your website, and the repositioner.com slash gift, where you'll have a chance to enter to get your elevator pitch polished, which is such a great idea, and then receive the gentle marketing, how to gently attract loads of new customers. Shala, this has been a fun conversation. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, I'm not surprised it was fun because my God, this is what you do for a living. So, but thanks for having me.
0: My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chala. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 225. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources to today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Are you ready to sign up for the 5% Advantage program? Held only a few times a year, participants of this four-week program are eligible to become certified virtual event professionals. Hashtag NoMoreBadZoom. A select few will become Zoom producers who will join my expanding team to help me serve my clients as they strategically bring their events online. This is a great additional revenue stream for the right person because you can earn $200 or more an hour. The next cohort of six to 12 participants begins on January 28th. The fee for this entire program is $2,250. But if you register by the early bird deadline, January 14th, you'll pay. That's a $750 savings. Hit reply and I'll share the details. And I'm happy to schedule a chat to see if this is the right program for you to meet all of your goals. If you enjoyed this episode with Chala, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. When I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.
1: This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.